And so the Lord Jesus Christ is indeed a glorious Savior. You know, and although Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 really is the unit, uh, and in the Greek that's all one sentence, uh, we're just focusing on one verse. I was asked earlier, are you just preaching on one verse? And I said, yes, and I hope I get through one verse, 30 words. Uh, here into this one verse of scripture and some glorious gospel truths. But let's take it a step at a time. King James translates the, the opening words this way, who being the brightness of his glory or a radiance. It's a word only used here in the New Testament. And so uh, difficult to compare it with other verses in scripture. You know, but think of the sun, I talked about that with the the children. Think of how big and bright our sun can be on a cloudless summer day. And now think of Jesus as the outshining of the brightness of the glory of God. It's the way Leon Morris put it, or uh, Simon Kistemacher put it this way, Christ is that radiant light that comes from God to the Father as the sunlight shoots forth from the sun. Now, that's a great way to picture it. The, the brilliance, the brightness, the radiance of the sun, and Christ is that same radiance, the, the beams of light that shoot forth from the sun. The brightness of the glory of God. You know, since Jesus is really fully God, he is fully and really glorious. You know, he is our glorious Savior. That's been our theme during these Advent sermons. We looked at it in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 5, then Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, last Lord's Day, John chapter 1, verse 14, and now Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. You know, the brightness of, of the glory of God. We, we have glimpses of that in all of Scripture. You know, the, the Ark of the Covenant was a, a token of the glorious presence of God with his people. You'll often see the, the glory of God shining forth from the tabernacle and, and then the temple. It wasn't the tabernacle or the temple or the Ark that were glorious, but it was God's glory that was shining forth. You see that glory of God in Christ, in his incarnation, in his miracles, in his transfiguration, and then finally at the cross. You know, Jesus Christ is the, the, the fullness of the glory of God. So verse 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, that gives us insight here into Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. Uh, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what it's telling us here in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. We can, we can know you know, have a basic beginning understanding of the glory of God as we behold Christ. You know, here again, these 
Christmas hymn words, and you know, encourage you. I know Christmas is is uh, Tuesday, but don't don't stop singing or meditating upon the Christmas hymns. There's some rich gospel theology there. And one of the hymns that we sing contains these words: "Mild He lays His glory by." Born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. So we begin with the glorious radiance of Jesus. Note, secondly, the glorious revelation Uh, of Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And now we read, and the exact imprint of his nature. Here, even in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it begins with telling us uh, that that Jesus is united, one person, uh, but here the Son of God is distinct from God the Father. He is the exact likeness the full expression of his being or substance. You know, there, there's some rich theology here, and, and we are only scratching the surface. You know, but when the Christians hear, when we as Christians hear the gospel truth about Christ, they can know for sure and beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is indeed very God of very God. You know, at times we say the Nicene Creed here. Not not too often. It's there in the back of our Trinity hymnals. It's a longer creed, uh, but this creed uh, was put together by by godly men in in a time of crisis. Early in the 4th century, there were all sorts of false teachings about Christ. And one of the key false teachings was that, that Jesus was not fully God. He was something less than God. He was a created being. And uh, to counter that, hear this portion of the Nicene Creed. Speaking of Christ. The only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. You know, Jesus was eternally engraved. That's the picture here, as the Son of God. You know, in Christ we behold the very perfect, visible expression of God the Father. That was the claim that Jesus made, a, a true claim. John 14, verse 9, you know, here Jesus is talking to his followers, talking to Philip. Uh, John 14, uh, Philip said to him, verse 8, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus responds, John 14, 9, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Now, Jesus is that exact imprint of his nature. Truly, 
You know, every Christmas, uh, shoppers get swindled as they foolishly purchase counterfeit items. You know, you do it online or someone's selling it in a booth or on the street corner and it looks real and, you know, it's a great deal. You can't resist it. And so instead of buying a a Rolex watch, I'm not sure if you bought a Rolex watch, uh, you buy a Rolodex watch. It said that this year, for those of you who buy Yankee candles, you can tell a counterfeit Yankee candle, you turn it upside down and it says made in China. Counterfeit Nike trainers, uh, for those of you who buy athletic shoes. You know, what a disappointment. Uh, Hopefully you won't go home and find out you've bought something counterfeit, but what a disappointment when you've been deceived. You know, you thought you were getting the real deal, and and it's you you were cheated. You you were swindled. Well, well, Jesus is, is the perfect powerful prize, second person of the Trinity. Veiled in flesh we sing, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? You know, God with us. You know, there, there is real joy in, in our real Savior who perfectly reveals the Father. So the glorious radiance of Jesus, the glorious revelation of Jesus. Third, the glorious rule of Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. You know, that that word uphold is, uh, to to give us some word pictures, Jesus is is carrying or supporting, sovereignly supporting, all things, literally. You know, for those of you who study mythology, you might remember Atlas in Greek mythology, He was a titan who was condemned to hold up not the globe but the celestial heavens for all eternity. And if you look at pictures or statues of it, you know, he he is being crushed under the load. And it's meant to be punishment. You know, but Jesus is supremely, sovereignly stronger than Atlas, Hercules, Samson, you know, we think of the strength of David as a shepherd boy, you know, killing lions and tigers and bears. You know, Jesus here is not only God's agent of creation, you know, that's what we read in, in verse 3, through whom also he created the world. He not only created the world, but Jesus also upholds, he sustains. He carries us. It speaks of the providence of God. You know, he knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows when a sparrow falls. He sustains all things. And, you know, for those who do weightlifting, it's not a static deadlift by Jesus. You know, someone that says, well, I bench press 600 pounds, and if you've ever seen him do it, you know, it's up. Lock your arms and then down. Okay, I'm done. 
Now, Jesus continues to sustain all things. And to take it a step further here, it's a picture of Jesus mightily and mercifully moving all things. He's not just standing there. You know, he, he is carrying all creation, all the universe, all of his redeemed children uh, towards a sovereign goal. He governs all of his creature. You know, we read Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, read it at the service of lessons and carols last week, but there is a phrase that caught my attention again. Uh, Here, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, for to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know, we're always racing, and it's a good thing, those four titles for Christ, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, you know, but, but what's the phrase just before that and the government shall be upon his shoulder the government shall be upon his shoulder and he rules by the word of his power he upholds the universe by the word of his power you know even here in america uh, we're passengers in a boat sailing in stormy seas Uh, Politically, you know, what's our government doing? Government shut down at Christmas. Financially, uh, follow the stock market, you know, it's a roller coaster ride. Morally, but rather than wringing our hands, lying awake at night, grumbling about our leaders, you know, Remember this phrase, this truth from God's word. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. That that ought to be at the top of the newspaper. Christ upholds the universe by the word of his power. You know, let us remember the powerful rule of Christ, the gracious providence of God. You know, again we sing this this truth, this This is Christ the King, whom whom shepherds guard and angels sing, haste, haste to bring him, Lord, the babe, the son of Mary. The the glorious radiance of Jesus, the glorious revelation of Jesus, the glorious rule of Jesus, and now uh, the fourth truth, the glorious redemption by Jesus. You know, here in many ways is is the climax of this one verse. After making purification for sins. You know, here's the prize jewel in the crown. You know, why did Jesus Christ, the real Son of God, humbly enter into our fallen world as a baby born in a manger? You know, again, as we sing, Christ was born to save. Christ was born to save. The rest of that verse reads as follows. Good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice 
Now you need not fear the grave. Jesus Christ was born to save. Calls you one and calls you all to gain his everlasting all. Christ was born to save. But take a close look there. And the key word there is purification. Cleansing for sins. We think of the sacrifice of Christ, our sinfulness, our security of salvation. You know, this reminds us that that we are sinners. You're You're a sinner, I'm a sinner. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We're born in sin, we choose to sin. We bear the bitter root of sin. The, The pain of sin pervades every area of our lives and of our world. But the picture here with with sin is that we are defiled by sin. We are unclean uh, before a holy God. But Jesus, after making purification, here here we move from, from the cradle to the cross, Uh, We think of Christ's work of cleansing our sins by his shed blood on the cross. You know, as you go through the Old Testament, if you were to read through the book of Leviticus, you'll see those sacrifices and offerings cleansing for sin. Read this, Leviticus chapter 16, verse 19. Now, the high priest here is having to cleanse even the altar on which sacrifices were offered, Leviticus 16, 19. And he, that is the high priest, shall sprinkle some of the blood on it, that's the altar, and he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleannesses of the people of Israel. After making purification... For sins. You know, Jesus really cleansed us from our sins. Uh, Though your sins are as scarlet, you know, they shall be whiter than snow. That's a work of Christ. We're really cleansed, we're really forgiven. And so we can really have confidence in Christ. Hebrews chapter. 9, verse 13 and 14, put it this way, Hebrews nine thirteen. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of a defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our consciences? from dead works to serve the living God. Having made purification, so we see sin, we see the the work of Christ on the cross cleansing us from our sins, but there's even a note of security in this verse. Having made, you know, the, the, the tense of that verb, having made, tells us this, that it was a single definite act, once for all, and, and that it's a completed work. Having made purification, 
for sins. We have gospel assurance in Christ. And real joy at Christmas, you know, does not come when we unwrap, you know, that longed-for gift that we thought would make us happy for life. You know, we, we think of that as children. I used to ask my parents, you know, make sure you give me this gift. This is the only thing I want. If you don't give me anything else, this is what I want. And, and then you get it, and, you know, you're happy for 30 seconds, then there's no batteries or it breaks or your friend gets the better gift than yours and you're envious. Happens to us as adults, by the way, truth be told. You know, real joy, real joy comes when we reflect on God's gracious work of saving sinners by his sacrificial death on the cross. You know, that's a joy that the world cannot give to us but it's also a joy that the world cannot take away. The joy of forgiveness of sins, the joy of knowing we're Christ's beloved and blood-bought children, the joy of worshiping the King of Kings who brings salvation, the joy of sharing the gospel and showing the love of Christ to the lost. So the glorious radiance, the glorious revelation, the glorious rule, the glorious redemption. But the last part of Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, uh, we see the glorious rest in Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purification for sins. And here's the last truth. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat down. Not because he was tired, worn out. Yes, sitting is a a posture of rest, but as you read through that in Scripture, it's not idle rest. It's a place of honor, a place of privilege, a place of power. Jesus, even now, sits on the throne of heaven in glory. He sat because his work of salvation was done. But he continues to reign over us. He sits at the right hand, the right hand of the majesty of heaven. That's an important place. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. You know, Jesus is sitting there, even now, the right hand of the majesty on high. You know, close with a a story, a few applications. You know, thinking about real joy. You know, thinking about that truth, a real faith and a glorious Savior brings us real Christmas joy. I checked with Len beforehand, make sure I had the dates right and the facts. But uh, after Lynn and I were married, August 78, you know, we were doing that Thanksgiving, you know, at, at my parents' home, and then we went for Christmas to her parents' home. 
Lancaster, New York. And it was a challenging Christmas for me. You know, not that I'm traumatized by it, but, uh, you know, every family has different traditions. And Lynn's family had wonderful traditions, grew to love them, but they were unsettling at first. I'll put it that way. Uh, They have a Christmas Eve service at their church. Back then they had three Christmas Eve services, and uh, the one that the Fitzgerald family went to was at 11 p.m. on Christmas Eve. But it was a beautiful service. I grew up, we went Christmas caroling as a church Christmas Eve. They opened presents, gasp, on Christmas morning, not on Christmas Eve. I thought that was in scripture somewhere, that you had to open your presents on Christmas Eve. But that's just a Swedish tradition. And and, uh, then on Christmas mornings, uh, they came down. Well, they had to wait till Lynn's mom, Penny, said, okay, it's time to come down. But they would come down in our in their pajamas. You know, I grew up in a home, you didn't come down in your pajamas, even if the house was on fire. You know, you put put on your clothes, and then you would leave. And, um, but, you know, what what was central? You know, for their family, for ours, trust for yours, it was Christ. You know, it may be a hard Christmas for you. Empty chair in your home, loss of a loved one, family far away. But where is our real joy? Our real joy is in our real Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who really became flesh, really died for our sins, really paid the price for our salvation. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, story of Christmas, of Christ's birth, sometimes grows overly familiar to us. We take it for granted. We take it lightly. We forget the depths of your love for us. So, Father God, may we your children at Christmas and every day, Father. Give you thanks that you sent your son Jesus not only as a baby but as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Thank you for that assurance of loving, lasting, living joy in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.